Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we break down conspiracy theories. What are they? Why do people believe in them? And how are they affecting Australians right now? Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa Di Grazia. And welcome back to another episode of Australia Explained. We'd like to start by acknowledging that I'm recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. And Vanessa, where are you today? I'm tuning in from Nagari land today. And we pay our respects to the respective elders past, present and emerging. So we're one and a half years into the pandemic, not to remind everyone in case you forgot. In case you didn't know. And in that one and a half years, lots of things have changed in Aussie society. And the one we'll be focusing on today is conspiracy theories, something that was once spoken about solely on deep net message boards and on the fringes of society. Many conspiracy theories are becoming an increasingly mainstream part of the Australian political and social view. Yes, and unsurprisingly, people's knowledge in this area is rather murky. And, you know, in the age of misinformation where documents and photos can be easily faked, paired with the tense pandemic environment, it's likely we're not aware that many of the ideas that have entered mainstream perspectives have underpinnings in certain conspiracy movements or actively support them as well. So in reference to this, today we're going to move through what the prominent conspiracies are here in Australia, be aware where they've come from, why people believe in them, and the implications of these sorts of views. As per usual, we're going to start basic. So Vanessa, what is a conspiracy theory? So to put simply, conspiracy theories can be defined as the beliefs that an organisation is acting covertly to achieve some sort of malevolent end. So this means that a group of people are trying to do something evil without the public knowing. And there are some pretty harmless conspiracy theories, particularly in pop culture. For example, one of the first major conspiracy theories that we remember was that many singers were part of the 18th century secret society called the Illuminati. Yes, or yes, that, that the was rapper very popular. That was so popular. Every celebrity was part of the Illuminati. Every Rihanna, Jay Z, <laughs> Beyonce, Kanye West, they were all part of it. <laughs> oh my god. And similarly, um, the conspiracy theory that Tupac was still alive despite clearly being murdered. Yeah, so those are some of the, you know, pop culture ones. Then there are some theories that begin to get a little bit more political. So For example, 9-11 was an inside job by the American government or that the CIA organised JFK's assassination. And whilst these may be easy to laugh off by some people, it does say something larger about government and even scientific scepticism that we're beginning to see today. Yeah, when I was in high school, my media teacher actually taught us that 9-11 was an inside job and that JFK's assassination was planned and tried to prove it to us with all these YouTube videos. And I never realised at the time how messed up that was (laughs) until I got (laughs) older. We went to the same high school as well and I did not... When I went to a different high school, not your Uh, high school. I was about to say, I was like, (laughs) I was not a part of this. (laughs) You missed out, you missed out. Um, But any conversation about conspiracy theories 
requires some sort of understanding about the political compass. So this is an incredibly complex thing to try to condense into a simple explanation. So please remember that as we're talking, we totally understand that there are many, many intricate details or positions that we're going to overlook as we explain this. But you know, we're Australia Explained. Our goal is to make things as easy to understand as possible. Yeah, and we say that because you did a a reel about left versus right once, and and we got a lot of comments blowing off about how um, it was overly simplistic. So yes, that's our goal here. We want to be simple, but we're going to try and break it down. So in its most basic form, the political compass plots political beliefs and ideas along two different scales. So one being a left to right horizontal scale that focuses on economics and economic policy, and then an authoritarian, libertarian vertical scale that goes up and down that focuses on our personal freedoms. Yeah, authoritarian and libertarian are such big words, but I'm just going to stick with authority and liberty to make it easier. I know that Aryan can put some people off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And when we look at the left-wing, right-wing scale, left-wing politics usually aligns with the beliefs that the government has a large role to play in the economy whereas right-wing politics usually refrains from heavy government and instead believes that the government should have minimal role in the economy. So, for example, a left-wing government might choose to tax higher-income earners to promote equality, whereas a right-wing government would step away, reduce taxes, and encourage businesses to employ as a tool to promote income equality. So, making laws to regulate the economy versus stepping back and letting the economy regulate itself. Yeah, and that's just typically. Of course, there are many variations of that. But the left-right scale is often mixed up with some other words. You know, typically the left is associated with being progressive and being modern, um, whereas the right might be associated with being conservative. And this actually stems from the French Revolution, which is my favourite of all revolutions, um, in that people who were seated on the left-hand side of the French National Assembly supported democracy and change, whereas people seated on the right-hand side supported the traditional monarchy of the time and the ties to the Catholic Church. So that's also where Democrats and Republicans come from in relation to US government, remembering that, you know, a republic is someone who has a king or or a monarch as head of state too. Yeah, so we've got the left-wing, right-wing scale going horizontal, but what's just as important but often overlooked is that vertical scale of authority and liberty. So authoritarianism is the belief that authority should be obeyed, whereas libertarianism is the belief that personal freedom should be maximized. So when you put these two scales we've talked about together, you get a compass that splits the political field into four corners. Yeah, and it's like a graph. You can plot your beliefs um, on each axis and you'll get a point as to where you are. So for some context, traditionally in Australia, the Labor Party has long been considered left-wing, although that, although that's in debate. But that stems from um, the Prime Minister, such as Gough Whitlam, who had really strong social welfare policies and um, his government had a lot of intervention in, in the well-being or, or the welfare of, of its citizens. Um Whereas the Liberal Party has often been considered as right-wing with policies that support private industry and business. I think you're the number one fan in Australia for Gough Whitlam. I don't think... I think I am. I don't think there would be anyone that loves him more than you. I think it's the conversation and Gough Whitlam. (laughs) (laughs) 
Great niches, great niches. Um, but of course, with everything, it's not as clear cut and as it seems. And if anything, both major political parties that we have, the Labour and the Liberals, can be seen floating somewhere near the centre of the political spectrum. They've got pretty moderate policies, and there's been a lot of debate lately about the Labour Party losing its traditional left wing identity because it has been straying more and more towards the middle of the spectrum, especially since losing the last election. But we're not going to get into that today because we only have 20 or so minutes and we could go forever. Yeah, that's more of a topic if we cover the next federal election, talking about Labor voters and um, that lack of identity. But what we're speaking about is, um, in regards to Australia, we're a fairly democratic country and we do believe in law and order. So we'd fall somewhere on the authority side of the compass because You know, we do have laws, we do generally obey them, we do respect our leaders for the most part, Um, but we're not totally oppressed or controlled. We do have a lot of personal freedoms and rights. If you want an extreme case, we could use someone like Joseph Stalin in Soviet Russia. He had a very far-left communist government, which meant that the government had a massive role in economic policy and they basically owned everything. So that's an example of heavy government intervention. But he would also be very high on the authority scale due to the fact that he was a dictator and people had no personal freedom. So there was a lot of oppression and control in in his um, Soviet Russia. And what we'll do is we'll include a link to the political compass in the show notes to help visualise this further. But hopefully that gives you a general idea of what we're discussing here. Yeah, and we really want to set in the idea that you don't necessarily have to be, like in that example, left-wing and authoritarianism, uh, no. authorita- authoritative, sorry. Um, you can be a mix of these things and um, it's definitely not just a binary which is what we're trying to frame. And where this conversation lends itself to conspiracy theories is that they're often linked to people edging into the far-right libertarian corner of this political compass. So people that advocate strongly for personal freedom and less for government control. And this can be seen in the many protests held against government-ordered lockdowns and vaccine regimes. Um, In fact, ASIO, which is the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, sort of like the Australian CIA, but not really, um, noted that many of the protesters matched the far-right narrative due to their beliefs that lockdown was a form of government oppression. Uh, What we also know is that these narratives are often supported by questionable evidence, but nevertheless, the theories are still gaining traction and support, and they're becoming somewhat mainstream beliefs. I'm sure most of the people listening, just like me, um, knows people that have definitely gone on this side of the spectrum and have been pushing this sort of stuff through COVID. Uh, I'm not sure about you, Tan. Oh, yeah, of course. I think we've all come across, whether that's people we know directly or even we've witnessed on social media, share these things. But we're going to look into the why, which is a little bit more fascinating. So now we want to know, why are certain people compelled to believe in conspiracies? Yes, this is a really fascinating thing to look into. And social psychologists have a lot to say about it. So Some psychologists have said that it's a trait that we've actually picked up throughout history, trying to survive and adapt in different environments. You know, it's quite natural to be suspicious about the actions of others, and we don't necessarily trust everything we hear, uh, which is in some senses a good thing, but it's the extent to which we promote a certain idea that's the real key point here. So how far are we willing to go to push a certain narrative and, most importantly, 
why? Yeah, and in writing this episode, we looked upon Dr. Karen Douglas at the University of Kent, who's a social psychologist, and she breaks this down into three different psychological reasons as to why someone might be inclined to believe a conspiracy theory. So the first she calls epistemic motives, and this refers to the need to know the truth and also a desire to have information. So, of course, when something major happens, people want an explanation. Um, But there is evidence to suggest that people are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories when they feel uncertain about something that has happened and when the truth isn't 100% clear. So the effects of the COVID vaccine is a perfect example here because we don't really know about the effects of the COVID vaccine. That's not discovered yet. So people might be delving into these conspiracy theories to help find some sort of truth about it. And I say truth in quotation marks. Um, There is also some evidence to suggest that people with lower education levels are more likely to believe in conspiracies. And We're not trying to discriminate here and we're not trying to say that people are dumb or people are unintelligent, but there is an implication that we need to develop certain tools to distinguish credible sources from non-credible sources. And that's exactly why we started this podcast as well. It's one of our driving motives. So as Dr. Douglas puts it, people may be looking for the truth, but not necessarily looking in the right place places. And this also has something to do with um, a trend you might have heard of called confirmation bias, where we only use and seek out evidence that supports our beliefs and we ignore the stuff that doesn't support it. Um, So take a second to note whether your preferred news outlets or websites or um, newspapers you read are dictated by your political beliefs, because that can be a sign of confirmation bias. Yeah, and we've discussed many times before the importance of varying your news sources, um, even to include uh, platforms that don't mirror your beliefs um, for that exact reason. Uh, The second reason that she claims is called existential motive. So this is referring to a person's need to feel safe and secure and have this sense of power over what's happening. So conspiracy theories may allow people to gain a sense of understanding as to why they don't have power over certain things. And once again, COVID is the perfect example um, to why conspiracy theorists may think it was some sort of inside job by the Chinese government to tackle overpopulation. Because... The theorists don't have control over the spread of COVID, but they do have a sense of why they can't control it, and that's why these beliefs are formed. Yeah. And finally, the third reason that Dr. Douglas claims comes down to social motives and feeling good about yourself and also the groups that you belong to. So we have seen that with the recent anti-COVID protests, they foster a sense of community amongst those who share a similar mindset, and it can be quite dangerous and divisive. Um, but also theorists might feel superior for knowing the truth, once again in quotation marks, about something when others don't. So hence why you might hear this whole sheep terminology um, and, you know, some theorists might refer to people who hold more mainstream beliefs as sheep because they're following a crowd and they don't have that unique set of information that would set them apart, you know, sort of saying, well, you don't have that truth that I have. 
Yeah, and theorists may possess what Douglas calls an overinflated sense of importance to the group that they belong to. Like, I'm better than you, and you should join me in believing my theories because, you know, I'm uncovering evil. Like, I'm doing something great for society. Yeah. And this whole phenomenon is part of a traditional psychology and a famous psych experiment um, by Stanley Milgram in the 60s that showed that people tend to gravitate towards certain beliefs when the group starts to get bigger and bigger. So it's sort of like adding fuel to an already burning fire. And just on this point, we've been using the COVID um, protests as an example because obviously it's contemporary and it's on everybody's minds. But we hope the listeners get the point that this is not saying um, these people protesting are stupid or uneducated or um, we don't understand the reasons because many people are protesting for great reasons um, or people feel like they've had really big losses with these lockdowns and that's understandable but it's when Mm. conspiracy and general concern um combine and feed these fires of conspiracy theorists um that it starts to be a problem yeah and it's like a crucible in a way it like builds pressure upon an issue and then it might burst we're not discrediting other people's opinions we're just saying that this is literally social psychology here and understanding the way people think and also the way we form beliefs. Um, It's also saying that perhaps we don't form beliefs as rationally as we may, we might think we do. So, um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. So it definitely is fascinating and perhaps it might cause you to think about the way you form beliefs and why you might believe something. So, What are some of the conspiracy theories that are floating around at the moment? Oh, there's so many. We could, (laughs) I could just constantly reel off all these like pop culture ones, like you know, moon landing was fake, etc. But everything important that ever happened was fake. Fake hoax. There's actually (laughs) the whole, um, the whole world is a simulation. That's a big conspiracy theory. The world is flat. The Earth is flat. You know, there's plenty. Um, Australia's not real. Okay, stop. We could keep going. Um, and we've already touched on it throughout the episode, but a lot of this circles back to COVID and a general weariness about whether COVID is real, once again in quotation marks, um, as well as concerns over the legitimacy of the vaccine. So a sign from the recent anti-lockdown protests read, COVID-19 is a scientific fraud designed to take away your rights and freedoms. And as we said before, people are pulling towards that far right and believing that this is some sort of government oppression strategy to keep us inside. And the reasons we just discussed also help us understand why people might stray towards these ideas. Yeah, I kind of want to stray with them. If COVID is a scientific fraud, then that would make my understanding of um, the pandemic world a lot easier. So, (laughs) of course, we also can't underestimate that the influence that social media is having here in reinforcing the ideas that we choose to believe. Um, A few professors from RMIT called this an echo chamber in which social media allows us to surround ourselves with the information that we want to hear and it constantly feeds it back to us. So once people make their opinion known to others via, you know, likes of social media, they're less likely to take it back or else risk public scrutiny. There's a sense of pride and identity attached to it. 
Yeah, and it's constantly echoing back to you. You know, what you see on social media reinforces your beliefs and you reinforce someone else's beliefs. So that's why it's called an echo chamber. Um, And social media also raises the amount of information circulating and it makes it more of a breeding ground for conspiracies to sprout because we can't necessarily see where it's starting or where its origins were. It's sort of just like little mini spot fires popping up all over the place. Yeah, we shared on our socials that just this week Sky News was banned from YouTube for posting misleading information about COVID. And mind you, Sky News has the most subscribers out of any local media news source in Australia. So its spread is massive. Yeah, very concerning there as well. Um, An important discussion to have here is also distinguishing between vaccine hesitancy and complete vaccine denial and conspiracies. So I think... You know, it's perfectly natural to have some concerns over a vaccine that was developed relatively quickly, um, but we do know that vaccines for other coronaviruses such as SARS and MERS were already underway. Um, But it does become quite concerning when people are flat out refusing to believe the professionals and the science. So we are diving into the realm of complete scepticism here. Yeah, there's a difference between vaccine hesitancy and hesitancy about lockdowns um, and then thinking that COVID is a fraud master um, done by China and Bill Gates and all of these sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> like very, very big difference. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what you were talking about comes down to another psychological phenomena called the Dunning-Kruger effect in which we tend to overestimate our competences in areas where we are definitely not competent. For example, a person with no medical background making extreme claims about a vaccine developed by medical professionals. And I don't know if some of the listeners saw a video that was circulating recently about an Australian man who visited a COVID testing site and pulled apart the testing kit. Yes, and and like questioned one of the ingredients. Yeah, and made all these claims about the ingredients um, in the caption and the comments. And I was reading the discourse about it and... Yeah, he had no medical background and lots of medical professionals responded saying this is a very common ingredient in medical grade um, equipment and that's the perfect example. Yeah, such as, you know, surgical masks and band-aids and things like that. So, but it's it's crazy how quick that could pick up speed because I remember seeing that video on TikTok and it was absolutely going nuts with comments and people, you know, questioning the COVID tests and things like that. So, It really does take a small spark to really start something big. And, you know, we're not trying to discriminate against anyone here. Intelligence really has nothing to do with it because this Dunning-Kruger effect has been shown even in people like Nobel Prize winners who are overestimating their intelligence in certain fields. Um, Everyone can be affected by this. And I'm sure people think the same about us, you know, two teachers from Melbourne commenting on these types of issues. But I guess our distinction here is the sources and the information we use or we try to seek uh, to inform our episodes. And just on another point, a major conspiracy theory that's picked up a lot of wind in the last couple of years is QAnon. And we wanted to talk about QAnon because if we're talking conspiracy theories, we got to talk QAnon. Yeah, this is massive. <laughs> it was definitely probably a little bit bigger last year, but it's kind of a theory that's popped up and down over the past five to ten years. So it's yeah. definitely going to pop yeah. up again. And it mainly started as a theory that... Donald Trump was waging a war against this ring of elite celebrity pedophiles, not all that different from the Illuminati um, 
theory. Secret society, yeah. Yeah, it's the same sort of vibe. Um, and that an anonymous leader called Q was dropping hints all over the internet about Trump's next move. So Q was the source for the QAnon conspiracy theory, and he was anonymous, which should already give you some red flags. Um, (laughs) However, it manifested into a range of different groups, ideas, and beliefs, including theories against COVID, which we just discussed. And although this began as largely American, Australia is now fourth in the world for QAnon social media content. And it's really been um, a big force behind ramping up virus denialism. Yeah, wound up in QAnon rumours and theories are a bunch of celebrities, including some of our own politicians. So if you're a Melbourneian, you'd be aware of Daniel Andrews' recent back injury and, you know, he fell down a flight of stairs. Um, But QAnon followers linked Andrews' accident to rumours of child abuse and an inappropriate relationship that was, like, found out and... You know, he fell down the stairs because someone attacked him because of it. I don't know. It's wild. Um, Even our own prime minister seems to be involved too. There are reports that ScoMo's close friend, Tim Stewart, appears to be a leader within the QAnon group. Um, And this is true. He runs a blog and many of the posts on his blog lay out the purpose of this supposed, you know, pedophilia ring um, in that it wants to harvest children's blood. Um, but I think people are trying to now make a link to Scott Morrison and say that Scott Morrison is also included in that because his friend is included in it as well. Yeah, just to show the cyclical nature of conspiracy theories, the whole pedophilia, blood of children, Hollywood celebrity thing actually stems from anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that have existed for over a hundred years um, in Hollywood. So these things just keep on coming back and back and people... Um, jump onto these ideas as they take new forms. Yeah, and it comes back to that political compass like we spoke about. That's why we spent so much time really setting that up because all this anti-Semitic stuff does start to delve quite far right, um, quite far um, libertarian in terms of people wanting personal freedom and people wanting to rule um, in a certain type of state um, and government. So um, it does all filter its way through history in certain ways. And yeah, it's, it's, you just, in that sentence, you said pedophilia, children's blood, anti-Semitic. It's crazy how we can link these types of massive ideas together. It's quite concerning. Yeah, it kind of is when you put it like that. Yeah. And if I want to leave us on a final note about this, um, the problem with conspiracy theories, because some people might say, oh, but, you know, it might be harmless, you know, it's just some fun you're looking into these sorts of things. But conspiracy theories really are continuing to cause more harm in our communities. They're dividing populations when we need everyone on board, um, not just to fight the pandemic, but to fight together on social issues and to build community. Um, it's polarizing opinion um, between political spheres, and that's never a good thing. All right, and now it's time for our recommendations. So, Vanessa, what have you got for our listeners and I today? So I know our listeners probably only love our podcast because ours Mm -hmm. is the best podcast, but my my recommendation is a podcast I listened to about a year ago. It's called Rabbit Hole. It's by the New York Times. It's pretty famous, so um, some of the listeners may have already heard it, but it's basically about – people that get stuck in the YouTube rabbit hole, which is essentially like the echo chamber you were talking about. Um, So just say somebody starts looking at certain conspiracy-related content or 
prejudiced, racist content, the YouTube algorithm automatically gives them more extreme versions of that content, and it can send people, especially vulnerable people, um, down this rabbit hole into some really extreme opinions. And, Mm. yeah, it's a podcast series. It interviews um, one ex-white supremacist from the US, and it's really, really captivating. Yeah. Just on that, you've sparked an idea in that um, I guess there's a bit of a debate here as to the extent to which social media um, can prevent such things from happening because there is a lot of debate as to whether we should block such content or whether social media companies should ban such content and, and the implications of that. So that's very interesting too. Yeah, we even experienced this with our vaccine episodes when trying to post um, our Instagram content like we always do. Just the simple hashtags tagging the vaccine um, were shadow banned because they're so vulnerable to conspiracy content. So um, in some ways, social media platforms are doing something, but maybe not enough. Yeah, that's a good What's recommendation. What's your recommendation, Tan? Yeah, mine is um, an ABC Four Corners report about Tim Stewart, that friend of Scott Morrison, because we had a few people on our Instagram stories wanting to know specifically about Scott Morrison's link here and, and this Tim Stewart guy. And it talks about the breakdown of his family relationship. So his family actually... Um, dobbed him in to, to security organisations in Australia because of the content he was posting. And I guess it just highlights the divisive nature of these these theories and what can happen as a result. Like you said, some of them may be completely harmless. And, you know, kids throughout the 20th century and the 21st century were laughing about the Illuminati. Um, but it can get to a point where it can be quite harmful and, and quite um, resistant to change too. So, We'll leave those in our show notes for you to check out um, in your own time. And that's it from us today. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This was based on your recommendations. So let us know what you think. We're always interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, this was a fun episode. They're all fun, but this was super fun. Um, In the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet and simple Aussie content on Instagram at Australia Explain Pod. Feel free to follow, subscribe, review, recommend, all of the verbs I can think of. (laughs) (laughs) Do all the actions. (laughs) Thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye.